Another EU vote, another failure to act. On the programme this week, that old chestnut, the future of glyphosate, plus reaction as Michael Gove U-turns on neonics. Also, preparing for Brexit, the meeting looking very much to the future. And later, some light relief from farmer Andrew Brown. People often ask me what I farm. EU subsidies is the answer. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. What a week it's been for farming. On the same day that EU member states again failed to agree on a proposal that would have seen the glyphosate licence renewed, Michael Gove then revealed he was overturning previous government policy on neonicotinoids, saying new research shows evidence that it is harming pollinators. Well, both decisions have angered those in agriculture, as you might well imagine. Guy Smith is Vice President of the National Farmers Union. Guy, what's your take on this week's developments? Yeah, quite a busy week for pesticides, and I'm sure nothing to give farmers uh, uh, much cause for solace in this. Um, yet again in Brussels, uh, glyphosate can is kicked down the road uh, because no one can take a decision, although... You know, for farmers like me, it just seems maddening that the Commission don't accept the advice of the uh, proper regulatory authorities who have said that it is safe uh, and they give it a 15-year renewal. But instead, they're insisting that the member states uh, should um, have the final say on this uh, and they want 65% proportion by EU population of member states to back the renewal uh, and... It just never gets achieved, uh, but often the way in Brussels, things do get kicked down the road and then get done at five to midnight. Um, so um, midnight is the 15th of December uh, for reauthorisation. It's now going to go to the appeal committee uh, at the end of November, and we hope um, sense will prevail at that point. We're rather resigned to the fact we'll probably get a shorter reauthorisation rather than the 15-year uh, but if we can achieve that, then obviously that pushes us into a sort of Brexit time uh, where hopefully Britain could take more influence over its own uh, pesticide regulation. And the one good thing here is that the British government have been completely un- on side. They back fully uh, a 15-year reauthorisation. Uh, and I pay tribute to all those farmers that got out there to speak to MPs and MEPs about this, about how important glyphosate was, not only in terms of keeping us competitive as farmers, but also lowering our carbon footprint, uh, reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and they made the case, uh, and our politicians and authorities are convinced, so so job well done. Mm. Now, of course, you, you said, obviously, the government are on side on glyphosate. If we didn't speak yeah. on Wednesday, we'd have said the government were on side on neonics as well. But uh, Michael Gove on Thursday gave a, a, well, a different indication, didn't he? Yeah, we have a, a reverse uh, whereby they are going to agree to the Commission proposal to extend uh, the neonicotinoid ban to all crops, uh, which will include all uh, non-flowering crops, such as sugar beet uh, and wheat. Um, we've seen the uh, new evidence come out, uh, but we're not convinced that it clearly shows um, um, impacts of the health, negative impacts. But the CEH study, which was the big one that was done over the last two years, one big aspect of that that the government appeared to have ignored is that the lead scientist there said, although they felt there might be some negative implications for bee health from the use of neonicotinoids, they could be 
clearly mitigated or neutralized by farmers having sort of refugia areas where we plant wildflowers. Uh, and we would like the government to look at that because uh, I think most farmers would be uh, up for putting uh, pollen-rich mixes um, on their margins. Uh, many already do that. Uh, and if we could do that alongside using neonicotinoids, then we think that would be a win for crop production and a win for bee health. Uh, and we're disappointed that government seem to shut that aspect down of the key research that they're pointing to to justify uh, a change in policy. NFU Vice President Guy Smith, Mike Neverson farms near Spalding. He sent a letter to Michael Gove asking for his thoughts on both the glyphosate vote and the Neonix decision. Mike, what's the thinking behind your letter? In certain crops, there are no other options for, um, you know, there's no alternatives to neonicotinoids to control these insect pests. Sugar beet is the crop that I'm most worried about of the crops that I personally grow. Um, you know, virus yellows are spread by an aphid which is resistant to nearly all other insecticides and to lose neonicotinoid seed treatment um would or, you know it could be potentially be very devastating um now i'm just talking about sugar beet the vegetable farmers around the country will be even more worried about the loss of neonicotinoids as they provide a much bigger part of their insecticide program and another important point you make in the letter is you know will if this happens um Will Mr. Gove, will DEFRA prohibit, you know, food imports from, from other countries that are treated with neonics? Because if not, that could have an even worse effect on farming, won't it? Yeah, I mean, my point really is that if... I mean, I, I don't at the moment agree with the science of withdrawal, you know, the basis behind the withdrawal of neonicotinoids in non-flowering crops. Um, but if you are, you know, as a government, if you are going to withdraw neonicotinoids, then it puts British agriculture at a huge disadvantage competing with countries which um, are still able to use the products. Um, I think it would be massively hypocritical um, of the government to prohibit their use in the UK and then continue to import products which have had it applied to them. And, you know, pollinators, wild bees, they don't respect borders. If the government believes that it is a, um, you know, a, a worldwide issue, then they need to take the lead on this. Uh, personally, though, at the moment, I don't agree, agree with the research. I think it's pretty unclear at the moment, especially um, with regards to non-flowering crops. Mike Neverson there. If he gets a response to that letter, we'll let you know. We're uh, also hoping to hear from Mr Gove ourselves on the matter in the next few weeks. It's uh, fair to say it's certainly troubling many in the industry. We've spoken before on the matter with our agronomist, Sean Sparling, as you know, in his role as chairman of the Association of Independent Crop Consultants. Um, Sean, give us your agronomy advice in a moment. First, another week, yet more frustration. Yes, morning, Sean. If you remember three weeks ago, we were in the situation where 16 countries wanted to keep it, 10 countries wanted to get rid of it, and two countries abstained. On Thursday, that changed to 14 countries want to keep it, nine countries want rid of it, and five countries abstained. So therefore, no decisions made. Once again, it's put off until the end of November. Um, and then they'll sit in that room once again, supping tea and coffee, which is full of caffeine, far more dangerous to us than glyphosate. And they won't make a decision then, and it will be put forward until the 15th of December, which is the cut-off. We have to have a decision by then. If they haven't made a decision in the member states, it'll go to a small committee that if it wasn't for the European equivalent of Countryfile and the Archers, 
and uh, Emmerdale, they wouldn't get any fresh air at all. They will ultimately make the decision on whether or not we lose glyphosate. It is an absolutely shambolic situation we're in. The risks of not having glyphosate to a human species are far, far, far greater than actually using it. And if you look at the data, I fully agree with the EFSA and the ECHA assessments as well as the BFR and all the other regulatory authorities around the world. They keep us safe. That's their job. They've no axe to grind. They're not working for any companies manufacturing it. They're independent government scientists and they say it is safe. The problem is that the World Health Organization, the IACR, assessed it on a hazard basis. The World Health Organization, JMPR, the Water Sanitation and Health, and the IPCS, all under that umbrella organization of the World Health Authority, they applied a risk-based analysis and found no case to answer at all. Same organization, different protocol, different result. Now, 3,300 peer-reviewed studies have found it non-carcinogenic and totally safe to us. One study found different, and we dismiss 3,300 studies that say it's safe. Astonishing times we live in. Because without glyphosate, that means huge increases in carbon emissions and machinery use, unavoidable damage to soils, ecosystems, worms, vertebrates, invertebrates, reductions in crop production, because we won't be able to grow on some of these fields where no other product than glyphosate will control the weeds. We will see an increase in uncontrollable competitive weeds again, like cooch and bromes and uh, bents and black grass which is resistant, resistant wild oats, resistant rye grasses, all of which glyphosate controls. And the net result of that is if we're producing less, lower yields, the food prices are going to go up in the shops and the quality will de decline because of contaminants from weeds, things like ergot which thrive when there are grass weeds in the crop and we simply have no other option than glyphosate to control them for us. So lower food security means we're going to be bringing in a lot more food from abroad, food which will have been treated with glyphosate and if this is all about safety, we mustn't import food that's got glyphosate in it because it makes a mockery of the whole system. And if that happens, what are we going to eat? Glyphosate is safe. You need to keep badgering your politicians and you need to keep telling them they're behind it in the UK. We need to make sure they are going out, doing their job for what they're paid and speaking to the countries who are not backing glyphosate. It is a very, very difficult situation we find ourselves in at the moment. So let's move on to uh, agronomy then. A few things. It's not that easy out there at the moment. We've got a lot of wind. We have the first real frost of the season at the beginning of the week. Minus two we got down to. And the trick with frost is when you get that first frost, you need to leave a good night clear without frost after it so the wax can recover. And then when you get frost coming in after that, as long as you stop spraying, by about three o'clock in the afternoon you'll be totally safe but a lot of these crops are now fully up and through the ground you can find aphids out there bird cherry oak grain aphid rose grain aphids easy to find in some of these fields Remember what we've said, if you've used a deter clothianidid seed dressing, then you get about eight weeks from emergence to when you start to worry about it. If you haven't, you count those 170 day degrees, take the average day temperature, add them up till you get to 170, and then, and only then, if you find aphids within the field, that's when you consider putting a pyrethroid on. Do not blanket spray. In oilseed rape, if you see these little patches in your fields, the fields have looked good up until now, and these little patches start to go backwards, they don't look quite as good as they did, just go and have a look, pull up a few plants and see if you've got swollen roots. If you have, it may well be club root. 
There's nothing chemically you can do to control it, but if you put lime on, you can just inhibit its uh, spread and stop it getting any worse. You'll never control it because there is no control other than resistant varieties, and I think that's the way we're probably going to have to go in the future. Light leaf spot levels remain low. Foma levels remain relatively low. If you've had a fungicide on, remember you get three weeks protection as long as you've used the product, which is capable of protecting against light leaf spot. You get about three weeks protection. As things get cooler, activity from disease will slow down aphid activity will slow down as well but remember it takes temperatures of between minus six and minus eight to kill aphids we've been nowhere near yet so if you haven't got deter on and even if you have if you've got to eight weeks after deter and you've got that temperature thing make sure you're out there controlling if you have a problem and not until and remember if you're putting things like atlantis on the temperature before you put it on is probably more important than the temperature and the conditions that follow it make sure it goes on dry make sure it goes on well and avoid low drift nozzles and bubble jets at all costs when you're applying atlantis two to three leaves of the black grass 12k maximum speed a fine medium quality spray and you're good to go Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. It's been a few weeks since we last mentioned Brexit on the programme. A number of events are currently taking place around the country discussing our leaving of the EU as March 19 gets ever closer. The Northern Farming Conference debated the matter a few days ago at Hexham, urging farmers how they can positively manage rather than just react to the changes that are coming. Similar discussions have been held with the NFU a couple of weeks ago in Suffolk and the week after next in Newark. That meeting is taking a slightly different slant as uh, Danny O'Shea can explain. Yes, yeah, so the NFU's um, put on a roadshow of events for Brexit and in the East Midlands we decided to look at the kind of plans that companies uh, we supply our products to uh, next up in the supply chain are putting in place ahead of Brexit. What kind of businesses are you you're hoping to attract? Yes, we've done really well. We've managed to get speakers, high-level speakers, um, CEOs, that kind of level, from Two Sisters, Arla, British Sugar, G's, HSBC and Openfield. We've had about 200 people confirm that they're going to come on the day, so we expect a full house. Hopefully there'll be a really open and honest debate between the speakers and the members, um, and we've allowed a good amount of time for panel discussion. I mean, Brexit, it's, it's, it's so important, isn't it? It's an important um, subject, the uncertainties that we've touched on on the programme many, many times before. So like you say, being honest, having that honest debate is crucial, really. It is, yeah, and it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how um, organisations are planning ahead of Brexit. What we didn't want to do is just put another Brexit conference on and talk about the issue of Brexit. What we wanted to do is provide members with a good meeting, with a good discussion about what is going to happen ahead of and after Brexit. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? We we can often get um, pulled back into the whole referendum debate and whether Brexit's a good idea or not, but actually it's happening, so we need to make sure that, uh, particularly in agriculture, we're all prepared for it. Exactly. And farmers themselves are very proactive, um, realistic people as well, so they understand whether they were for or against Brexit, it's going to happen, so we just need to crack on and uh, make the best of it. That's Danny O'Shea of the NFU on that Business After Brexit event happening on November the 21st and chaired by Minette Batters. You can find out more details by getting in touch with the NFU online. On to grain, it's uh, Chris Spratt with the latest from Openfield this week. Morning, Chris. Morning, Sean. What's uh, what's happening with Openfield? Uh, well, this week, I, actually, I just thought I'd, I'd start talking about uh, new crop, the, the crop that's going in the ground at the moment, really. Um, this week, uh, European Analyst Strategy Grains Forecast uh, for 2018 harvest came out. Their winter wheat area, 
they forecast at 1.8 million hectares. That's marginally up from last year. So if we take a five-year average, their forecast for a crop uh, next season of wheat is 14.87 million tonnes. To be honest, Sean, at this stage, I think they must have good eyesight to see that far forward in this job. As we know, it's, it's uh, never a crop until it's in the barn. I will say some of my larger estates have taken advantage of the benign weather in October and stepped on the gas and drilled more winter wheat than they had initially planned, I think largely at the expense of area originally that was earmarked for spring barley crops. On the old crop, feed wheat's in relatively strong demand. It's debatable, as we know, if we'll have an exportable surplus this year. That strong demand comes from the ethanol plants and, and feed wheat consumers, mainly, uh, I think, north of the Humber up towards uh, the Tees uh, and on the east side of the Pennines. Those growers uh, closer to that area of demand are able to take advantage of what effectively is a lower cost of getting it there, lower haulage rates and netting a better price. So the further north of the grain's located, the, the better prices are at the moment. Uh, as open field, we've got good demand for soft wheat post-Christmas. I think it's uh, just important at this time of year as we roll up to Christmas, keep in contact with your farm business manager, just check out your local markets. But the right variety and spec of soft wheat can command a, a very good premium this season. Conversely, old crop group one premiums, well, they're struggling at 10 to £11 over feed wheat, very much dependent on area. And I think, you know, we also need to keep an eye on the fact that this year we've got a lower premium. We've also got slightly lower quality overall than we had last year. And you do need to just make sure that what you're selling is going to net you something better than feed wheat at the end of the day. It's not always the, uh, the best headline price that gives the best net return, as we well know. I think overall we may see a similar season to last year where if we see some better quality wheat leave the UK from the south coast ports at some stage, our domestic market uh, will remain tight and we could see cheaper imported alternative grains finding their way into areas of deficit at some stage and it's the availability and price of those imported alternatives that we're going to need to monitor over the next few months. Uh, On Wednesday, Egypt, we were the world's largest wheat importer, bought a further 120,000 tonnes of wheat from Russia. Uh, I think France, Ukraine and Romania being the other possibles, they didn't actually put a price uh, in at this tender, I think probably due to some of the uh, risk or hassle factor they've had on delivery throughout this season uh, has put them off, never mind competing on price. Feed barley still finding some good export demand again out of the south coast. Growers in some instances are reluctant sellers as they're holding off on failed or off-spec spring barley in the hope that it does make a premium. Also, rape, while the markets continue to move upwards, they're ongoing. Uh, nearby good crush margins are helping to support the market, which is encouraging buyers to take some cover. Currency seems to help one minute and hinder the next, although the further forward positions do have a carry, which is encouraging. USDA figures were released on Thursday. Uh, that'll be the last uh, yield change before January, which will then leave the trade day able to concentrate on Chinese demand, US exports and uh, South American weather. Uh, overall, world corn production was increased by 5 million tonnes, but in actual fact 7.5 million tonnes in the US. So I think you could summarise the report by being uh, bearish to corn, really neutral to bearish to wheat, I would say, uh, and, and soya. But the big corn yield in the US is will certainly try and pull the market lower, I feel. Uh, feed beans in, back in the UK, well, that pile keeps growing as more results show a downgrade to feed from human consumption due to high levels of brookie beetle that's borrowed its way into the beans, rendering them unfit for human consumption. Nevertheless, we've got some openings for immediate movement feed beans, even though the domestic market is, is full at the moment. Prices, feed wheat, 139 to 142 for November, with a pound a month carry to May at 145 to 148, with a Group 1 premium of 10 to £11. 
Those looking further forward to the crop that's just going in the ground now, November 2018 feed wheat is 140 to 145. Uh, old crop feed barley for November, 123 to 127. Malting barley premiums post-Christmas still in the region of £30 for springs and 15 to 20 for the winters. November 18, spring barley, not, obviously not yet in the ground, but uh, for those uh, planning, uh, it should look to be making somewhere around about £150 eggs. All seed rape, 318 to 323 for pre-Christmas, with carries through to the end of the season. And finally, feed beans, 145 to 150, dependent on area, with human consumption beans still worth somewhere in the region of 180. Thank you. Chris Spratt from Open Field. Now, we live in testing times, it's fair to say. Our discussions earlier about Brexit, glyphosate, neonics all proved that. One farmer, though, has found a cure, well, of sorts, laughter. They say it's the best medicine. Uh, Rutland farmer Andrew Brown recently took part in a stand-up challenge for charity, swapping his farm for the stage at the Leicester Comedy Festival. Here's a little of his routine. Actually, I'm a bit worried about being here tonight because I've missed the archers. So that means that I haven't got the first idea what I'm supposed to be doing tomorrow now. People often ask me what I farm. EU subsidies is the answer. <laughs> Andrew's on the phone now. How did it go? Well, it went uh, an awful lot better than, uh, than I could have uh, really hoped for, to be honest. Because um, I actually won the competition, which was a uh, big surprise. What, what made you do it? What was the reasoning? Um, I'm always uh, looking for things that are slightly unusual and uh, outside my comfort zone and I don't know any other farmers that have really gone down the stand-up comedy sort of route Um, and uh, I've done a lot of speeches and after dinner type stuff before but I've always in that scenario had a script and of course when you're standing in the middle of a stage with a microphone and the lights on you you're sort of completely naked, really. You haven't got a script. There's nothing to fall back on. If you dry up, you're, you've had it, really. So that was my biggest uh, that was my biggest fear, really. But luckily it didn't happen. Now, of course, uh, I don't know what harvest has been like for you and what kind of year it's been on the farm. Has, has it been comical or not? Comical? I think in order to be a farmer, you've got to have a sense of humour. If you didn't uh, have a sense of humour as a farmer, I think you'd go mad. And just talking on the farm itself, what kind of year has it been for you? Um, well, I think the yields have been uh, reasonable. The weather has been exceptionally kind, and um, hopefully the slug pressure on the the wheat is not going to be too bad. I um, I see there's been a bit of damage, but hopefully it's not too bad. And uh, let's get on top of this blackgrass. And is, is this um, uh, going to continue? Is is this a one-off, or uh, do you think um, maybe there's a career in this alongside well, the Well, I am available for weddings, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the bar mitzvahs, circumcisions, anything like that. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, all all the all options are open. Yes, I am. I'm more than happy to come and uh, come and do a gig somewhere, and uh, you know. Well, you never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Brown, the comedy farmer. <laughs> Is it uh, glum faces or will we be smiling at the weather this week? Let's uh, take a look at the forecast. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Well, with an Arctic blast 
sweeping down the east coast, making it feel uh, chilly, particularly at the beginning of the week. Mostly sunny today, nearer the coast, the possibility of a shower or two, though. Six Celsius, the high, the wind from the north-northwest, 15 gusting at 30 miles an hour. Clear skies mostly overnight tonight, so uh, a frost is more than likely, one generally the low. The wind from the northwest again, 15, gusting at 30 miles an hour for a time. And then tomorrow, a bit more in the way of cloud. We're looking at temperatures about 5 Celsius. That wind still from the northwest, 10, a little calmer, around 15 miles an hour. Overnight Monday into Tuesday, more cloud, possibility of a shower in places for the low, so a little bit warmer with that cloud cover. The wind now blowing more from the southwest at 10, maybe gusting at 25, 30 miles an hour first thing on Tuesday. Tuesday itself, possibility of a shower, but mostly dry with patchy clouds, some sunshine. Warmer though, again after that southwesterly overnight, 10 will be the high with the wind swinging by the afternoon from the west-northwest at about 5 miles an hour. Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, very calm with the wind, blowing from the southeast at about five miles an hour. Should stay dry, but overcast. So temperatures around six Celsius. And then for the middle of the week, for Wednesday itself, again patchy cloud, highs of around ten, and the wind more from the south southwest at about ten miles an hour. Towards the latter end of the week, it does look like the possibility of some more heavy rain to come. Could be quite uh, misty and foggy in places as well. Still warmer, though, with the wind from the south-southwest. We're looking at uh, temperatures about uh, 10 or 11 Celsius during the day. Uh, overnight lows uh, nearer 7 degrees. And that's the forecast. Uh, last week on the programme, you might remember, we mentioned the Soil Day happening at Andrew Ward's farm, a successful event by all accounts. And one tip I spotted that I thought worth mentioning uh, from the soil pit with uh, Dr Linda Deeks. She was looking at worm activity in a cover crop and said that in cold weather, so maybe today, a homemade mustard solution can be used to bring worms to the top. You see, you learn something new every week. Uh, more top tips for farming next week at the usual time. Until then. Have a good week's farming.